0: Welcome, everyone, to the Economy Ninja podcast. This is your host, Colin Norton. We are one day away from the 2020 US elections. What many people have been discussing, or dreading, or hoping for, or just thinking about, is what the world will look like in November and beyond. There's a significant amount of risk facing us today, but plenty of opportunity ahead. Also, I'm not a financial advisor, And nothing I discuss here will be financial advice. It is information for you to digest as we see the world continue to change and try to navigate it. Regardless of the outcomes of the election, we find ourselves at a crossroads. There are many paths in front of us, and we have to wait to see which one we start on. And just because we start on one path doesn't mean we won't change paths later on. The one thing I can say for certain on a day before one of the most contentious elections in memory is this. There will always be change. We might not like it. In fact, we often instinctively reject it because change threatens our sense of control. Because of that, we fear change. We fear being thrust out of our comfort zone and into the unknown. While I say this, that change is inevitable. It's kind of philosophical in nature, so let's instead take a look from a historical and economic perspective. Before 1776, the United States did not exist as a sovereign nation. It was a farming colony. And at the time, for perspective, the world's population was a little less than one billion people. 100 years later, the United States was undergoing one of the first major periods of industrialization and became one of the dominant economies in the world, and the world's population was a little more than one billion people. 68 years later, in 1944, the United States had cemented itself as the most dominant economy in the world, and the US dollar had become the world's reserve currency. And at this time, the world's population had approximately doubled and was a little over two billion people. In the decades that followed, my parents were born and the world's population was three billion people. By the year I was born, the world's population was five billion people. And today, it's nearly eight billion people. That means since 1944. The year the United States emerged as the world's first modern superpower, the world's population has quadrupled. To think that things don't change or won't change is completely resisting the reality of the world. Change and challenges show up in every possible form. And these new challenges require us to rethink and reinvent solutions in the world. So again, my recommendation is if you don't know what to do or what to invest in right now is to invest in yourself and develop skills because that's one thing that's guaranteed to pay you dividends in the future. Now regardless of the election results we face conditions and economic realities that differ from recessions in the past. In the past the path to wealth coming out of a recession was pretty straightforward get exposure in some form to the economic expansion that follows the recession. That meant when the economy starts growing again, invest in assets that would rise in price, whether it was stocks or real estate or starting a business, because the returns that you were going to get were always worth the risk. So what's different today? Today, we're in the middle of a recession and stocks and residential real estate are nearly at all-time high valuations a major contributing factor to this was the suppression of interest rates for over a decade and that has encouraged money borrowing however this continual borrowing has created significant debt that exists at every level of society and also threatens to strangle growth of businesses and consumers alike as debt payments will weigh heavily on future incomes throughout society. This is making the risk of such slam dunk investments of the past even more significant today and why the returns are more questionable today because of the high valuations that these risk assets already have. Asset prices are already supported by low interest rates, which means more spending's already been pulled forward from the future And even with interest rates very low, and therefore the interest on all that debt is very low, it still has to be serviced. It still has to be paid as the debt payments show up. If the economy stays sluggish and incomes and revenues don't grow right now, then there's an increasing risk that large holders of debt will be unable to make those debt payments. This leads to defaults and bankruptcies. If so many people and businesses are defaulting on their debt, then they're going to lose their credit worthiness, so banks won't lend money to them. When banks aren't lending as much money into the economy, then the money supply contracts. This is deflationary and is a real risk to high asset prices. These are the types of things that start to get exacerbated in a recession. And to think that we're out of the woods already is just silly. It's going to take real policy solutions and time to see the economy recover. So we'll have to revisit this situation once the election has been decided. Also important to note is that the election might not be decided for some time after Election Day. In many states, ballots will be accepted and counted for an extended period of time as long as they're postmarked by November 3rd. Just a handful examples. North Carolina will accept ballots for nine days after the election. Michigan will accept ballots for two weeks after the election, and California will accept ballots up to 17 days after the election. On top of this, I would expect there to be lawsuits filed by politicians challenging the legitimacy of ballots, depending on the criteria of how they were cast, which will further cause delay to the election results. Given the current global economic conditions, I think there are currently only two realistic paths for politicians to choose between for the coming decade, neither of which will be painless. The first option is choosing austerity, which is choosing to cut spending and pay down debt. This typically strangles economic activity, contracts the money supply, curbs investment and introduces significant deflation and likely leads to an economic depression that destroys much of the world's wealth and sends billions of people into financial instability. This is essentially what happened in the Great Depression and it becomes increasingly infeasible to choose this path as a politician because the world's population is four times larger than it was during the Great Depression. So this choice would likely contribute To millions of additional deaths around the world as people struggle to have access to basic necessities to survive. That doesn't sound great, so what's the other option? In the other option, governments around the world will instead try to generate inflation with significant spending programs worldwide to try to stimulate their economies out of a recession. Although this could be highly stimulative, it would also be a worldwide race to debase every sovereign fiat currency. Every country will have to increase its government debt holdings with the spending programs, and then they'll print their own currency to pay back the debt. While massing spending programs that generate inflation could keep increasing stocks and real estate valuations, if they fail, the valuations of the underlying assets face significant pressure from counterparty risks since the entire world's economy is built on a foundation of debt. So now with all that gloomy news done, let me share what assets I have high praise for. I think precious metals and blockchain technologies are some of the best assets to own in the current environment. Precious metals aren't perfect. Gold isn't anything you can use. It doesn't produce anything. It's not a business. It's not a chicken, it doesn't lay eggs, it just kind of sits there. And in the end, you hope you can sell it to somebody who's willing to pay for it. So why precious metals? Well, I'm concerned with low economic growth in the near term future. And so I'm less worried about missing out on other investments because many of those investments will be facing their own challenging financial conditions. If they have exposure to high debt levels. precious metals have always had a place as a store of value with a historical precedent as money to support them and they have the benefits of having limited or no exposure to debt-based risks now on to the next thing blockchain technology what am I talking about do you remember Bitcoin that's it Bitcoin was the first use case of blockchain technology, which was in the form of digital currency. So why Bitcoin and why blockchain? Aren't they used in scams and stuff? And didn't Bitcoin become a bubble a couple years ago that popped? What is it even good for? Why do we need it? This sounds risky. These are the same types of questions that people ask every time one of those new technologies shows up to challenge the old norm. Now, I don't expect to convince anyone about the usefulness or value of Bitcoin or blockchain because I think that it's going to happen on its own. This is more of an awareness statement about how important blockchain may become. If you haven't heard it being talked about yet, then you most likely will over the next year. And I would say by the end of the decade, Blockchain platforms will just be another layer to the internet age we already have today. Making things like banking and voting more accessible to everyone and highly secure. And Bitcoin in particular will receive a growing amount of attention as it will find greater adoption as a scarce store of value that will be coveted as a reserve asset by nations, businesses, and individuals. Far-fetched. I know, but it will happen slowly and then suddenly. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. And remember to subscribe to the podcast and you have a lovely day.